We'll be in uh, the book of 1 John, chapter 3, looking at the first three verses. Give me just a second, and I'll join you there. Work with this smaller podium here. It's a little challenging at times, and getting the distance just right so the bifocals work and uh, things like that are all different challenges that creep up on you. Um, it's a joy to be in God's house, a chance to get to share God's Word. I always love to hear Pastor preach, and I hope he's back here uh, almost every Wednesday night, but it's a privilege to get a chance to share God's Word. And uh, we'll be looking uh, here, like I said, in... 1 John chapter 3, the first three verses, what we're going to see um, with this is to this point, uh, John has been talking about the subject of fellowship, our fellowship with the Lord, with God the Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ who made it possible for us. And what we're going to be seeing starting, it actually started in verse 29 of the chapter 2 and on through the end of the book, is it talks about sonship and are being the sons of God and are the daughters of God. And we'll look at these verses, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that... When we shall appear, or when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You know, one little thought that uh, I wanted to talk about here, uh, I'm not going to cover it later, but where it says, The world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. I tell you what, in our society, the closer you try to serve our Lord, the more you try to act like a Christian, as you know God would have you act. Don't we look odder and odder to the rest of the world? And they, they really don't get it, and we really don't get them either. How can, you know, how can our society behave like it does? How can people treat people like they do? How can shootings like going on down in Orlando and stuff take place? Uh, you know, it's just senseless, you know, to us. And we, we don't understand it, and our world just doesn't understand us either in so many different areas. So many folks want to know why you get so wound up about abortion. It's just a fetus. No, it's not a fetus. It's a baby. And, you know, and yet they, they just don't understand that, and they, they don't understand why are you so serious about talking about Jesus. Well, they got to understand that we're told in the Old Testament that if a man sins and doesn't repent of it, he'll die in his sins and he'll go to hell and his blood will be accountable on his own hands. But if we don't warn that man, his blood will be held accountable on our hands. And so we have an obligation. Now, he has the choice, but we have an obligation to warn. And then that individual armed with proper information has a choice to make, and we can't make it for them. But we do have an obligation to warn them. And so they sit there and think we're 
mean-spirited, we're hard-hearted, we, t- we tell them that homosexuality is a sin, or we talk about other areas of life that are sins, and they go, well, you're just uh, mean-spirited, you don't, you know, you're hard-hearted, you're prejudiced, you, you got, you know, whatever they want to brand it, and they don't understand us. But, they, but what they don't understand is we know that God has given us instructions and we're accountable to him for those things. And so we have to step out and try to share Christ with a world that would really rather us keep our mouth shut until they get saved. And then when they get saved, we're their best friend other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So, but as we look at these verses here... Um, the thing that we're going to look at is there's six wonderful things about being a child of God that's talked about in these three little verses. And the first thing that's talked about is that we have a gracious, a gracious privilege, and it is that to be called the sons of God. Have you ever thought about your position as a child of God? I mean, uh, you know, there are a lot of families that are underprivileged or some that are very wealthy. But the thing is, even the poorest man uh, can enjoy the greatest privilege in life, and that is to be a child of God. I mean, the same God that spoke and worlds came into existence considers you his child. Think about that just a little bit. I mean, how many of you ever get anxious about things? I get anxious about things. There's a lot of things that stress me up. Uh, But the thing that I need to realize is that I'm focusing on a problem, and yet I have a heavenly Father that had the power to speak, and worlds came into existence just by a spoken word. And he loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for me. I mean, and because of that, I'm a child of God because I've accepted the free pardon of my sins. And God won't give me things just to give them to me because it'd probably ruin me. But the thing is, when I've got real serious issues in my life that need to be addressed, I don't know how God the Father in his wisdom will address them. But what I don't have to worry about is... Satan bringing those problems at me and that somehow Satan's going to get the best end of it because he's got to have approval from the Heavenly Father before he can ever bring it my way. And and so uh, there's just so many different privileges that are ours by being a child of God. The um, Notice also with me, in the verse here, how this is possible, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. That word behold means basically to stop what you're doing, focus, consider. You know, so how many of you have ever seen those jars of hot sauce that have got a lot of jokes on them? They'll say, this is serious, sit down, you know, you know and everything like that, and it's trying to, Make fun, but the thing is, God is saying in His Word here. When John uses that word at the very beginning of chapter three, "Behold," He's He's wanting you to stop whatever you're doing. Don't let your mind go wandering off to what you're going to do when I finally get done speaking, and let you out of here or whatever. But it's He wants you to behold, and then what He wants you to behold is what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Think about it with me. 
Why does God even care about us? You know, why does God even care about us? What do we have to bring to the table? I mean, here's a God that spoke and worlds were created. What's Rick Morse going to do for him? But he loved me anyway, loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ loved me so much he was willing to go. And God the Holy Spirit is so generous as to reside in my heart and, and put up with all my nonsense and try to be a guide and a comforter and a help to me in my life. Just think how much God has loved us through all three of his personages. And the thing is, we don't stop and think about, again, as I go back and think about our privileges, angels can lose their position. Satan's proved that in the one-third of the angels that went with them. You can, you can mess up as an angel and lose your position. Now, you would hope the rest of them have saw what happened to Satan and his followers and just said, well, that's not a good road to go down and I'll stay away. But the thing is, they can lose their position, but we're promised we can never lose our position. I think it's hard for us sometimes to stop and just realize what God has bestowed upon us in salvation. I don't think we really realize what it means when God has given us the Holy Spirit and what he has transposed onto us. When he calls us joint heirs with Jesus Christ and children of God, I don't think we realize just our position. It's almost as if God has passed on some of his divinity to us. He has adopted us into his family, and he'll never reverse it. And, and so we sometimes fail him, but he'll never fail us. And, and when he looks at that phrase, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, I mean, think of the investment he has made in you by sending his son Jesus Christ to die for you, to empower the Holy Spirit through the church and other things to reach out to you and to woo you to a point of salvation, and then to move into your heart to lead you, guide you, and comfort you the rest of your life until God takes you home to heaven. We just, I, we just need to stop and think about that phrase, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. We also, one of the deals is we have a good position. Notice that phrase in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. You know, again, we talked about how the angels could lose their standing. You know, one-third of them did. Satan and one-third of them did. But the Bible teaches us that there's nothing we can do. If we go into, we're studying in Sunday school the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 8, and as we get to the end of that chapter, it'll talk about the things Paul just goes on and on about what could possibly separate us from the love of God, and there isn't anything that can separate us from the love of God. But some people may say, well, yeah, but I'm not in heaven yet. Well, it doesn't matter, because if the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, now, it says in the scriptures, now are we the sons of God. It is a current position. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you're a child of God now. And your position in heaven is just as sure as you were already there. And, you know, again, 
as you look at these verses, if you'll let them, they can be a great comfort. Again, as we talked about, there are things that make us anxious out there in this world. God, through these verses, is trying to let you know your position in Christ is that you become a child of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and you've got access to the throne, and you've got access to a God that loves you. He's proved it by sending Jesus and then calling us after that. We also see that um, it's a guaranteed promise uh, that he shall appear in verse 2. We'll look at the verse. Behold, now we are we... Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So the third thing is, is a guaranteed promise that he shall appear. Go with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. <clears throat> I'm going to have to get a little drink of water. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And again, we'll look at the first three verses of this uh, deal where the Lord's talking to his disciples in the upper room. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Christ has made a promise that he's going to come back for us, and that he's going to take us home to heaven. We know that will take place during the rapture, and um, for everyone that has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, if they're dead, they'll be resurrected and for us that are still alive which i hope it's later today that the lord comes back um that uh will be changed the bible says in the twinkling of an eye and go to be with the lord and that he's been preparing us a place for the last two thousand years think about how many how many days did it take the lord to create the earth yeah, six days he created the earth in six days, and he's been up in heaven preparing us a place for 2,000 years. Um, you know, when the streets are made out of gold, just think what the architecture's like. Just think what it's going to be like, and it's going to be our home that he has prepared for us. Go with me, if you would, to just over to the next book, the book of Acts, in chapter 1. <clears throat> talking about that our Lord shall appear again. And in Acts chapter 1 and in verse 11, the apostles up on the hill of Galilee or the Mount of Olives and um, the Lord has ascended up before them. And it says, which also said, these angels speaking to them saying, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, and as you as you have seen him go into heaven. We have a, many different scripture verses that are promising that our Lord is going to appear again. 
we also have a glorious prospect back in our text, First uh, John, verse two, and it says, "We shall be like him." You know what could be better than this? I mean, think with me a little bit about our Lord Jesus Christ with his glorified body when he appeared to the apostles in the upper room. Um, and then later at the Sea of Galilee and several different times, he was seen by over 400 at one time, the Bible tells us. And, you know, he had that glorified body that could appear and disappear. It could sit down and have a meal. It could eat. Um, you know, you think with me that um, it's never going to get sick, never going to die, never going to grow old. Um you know, as far as the ability to appear and disappear, I got a feeling that our Lord can give us instructions on what task He wants us to accomplish, and we'll be able to go do it. You know, it'll be a body that is suitable both for heaven and on earth. It'll be a body that can uh, survive up in heaven, whatever the, cir- the conditions are there. One thing that'll have to be is uh, it'll have to be a pure body. Uh, God will clean heaven out and there won't be anything Satan will be banished by that time and there won't be any impurities up in heaven in his presence just think about this we'll have a godly character I, I don't know if I'll be able to pick on you like I do now or not because I'm not real sure it's always the Holy Spirit leading me <laughs> uh, but, but it's still fun so uh, but, uh, but the thing is you know we'll have a godly character you know, I've often thought, you know, by Jesus or the scriptures tell us that we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And God has said that he has put everything under heaven and earth under Jesus' feet because he's been obedient, obedient all the way to the cross. Think about that with me just a little bit. God has put everything that's in heaven and in earth under Jesus' feet. And then turns around and says, we are joint heirs with him. Think about that just a little bit. Just think of the glory that God is willing to bestow and has already bestowed on us. Because it says already that now are we the sons of God. But the thing is, when we get to heaven, we're going to know why we're there. All the vanity is going to be gone. All the, you know... uh, well, basically just vanity and pride and everything like that. Uh, all that's going to be stripped away, and we're going to know ourselves as we were known, and we're going to know really how we really are and what our real motivations were even when we were doing good. And we're going to know why we're allowed into heaven. It'll have nothing to do with Rick and everything to do with Jesus. And that's the reason we will humble ourselves and throw our crowns at his feet. God won't have to humble us because we'll have a godly character. And we'll know that there's truly only one begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But because of his obedience all the way to the cross, we get to also be the sons of God and the daughters of God and adopted into his family. So there'll be glory from the Father bestowed upon us. And I think because of our godly character, there'll be humility to our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that why we're really there. Just think about this. A griefless eternity is what we've got promised to us. No 
griefs, no complaints. Just think what that's going to be like. Nobody can hurt you intentionally or unintentionally. You No disappointments, no frustrations. Uh, you know, just think of what a griefless eternity is going to be like. I mean, that would be heaven on earth if we could have it now, right? If all everything that just grieves your heart and frustrates you and stuff like that right now, if it was just all stripped away, I think we'd call that happiness, wouldn't we? We'd call that joy, and that's what our eternity is going to be. We also have, a, we're going to have that gratified heart. Let me ask you this. What brings a, more satisfaction into your heart and maybe a tear to your eye than when someone really earnestly expresses their love for you? You know, either through action or through words, but you know it's sincere and they've expressed how much they love you. Is there anything that brings more fulfillment to your heart and the thing is, when we stand in glory and truly understand our true sinful nature, and yet God so loved us anyway that he wanted to have a relationship with us, and we truly get to see the magnificence of glory, of heaven, and everything that's there, and it's ours forever. And, and the fact is, everyone that's around us is going to have that godly character, and they're going to have the same joy in their heart. I mean, isn't it neat when you're sometimes in a room and everybody just seems to really be happy and having a good time, and it's actually good, clean fun that they're having fun? I mean, it's just contagious. It's just good. Everyone there is going to, that's allowed into heaven is going to have that same glorious feeling in their heart and that love, and it's just it's just hard to believe how glorious heaven's really going to be for us and it's all because jesus loved us the uh, psalmist said as for me i will behold thy face in righteousness i shall be satisfied when i awake with thy likeness we're going to be just like him we're going to have whatever it is the glorified body that he has that's psalm 17 verse 15 and you'll in his regard Regardless of how bad things may get in this life, a child of God has a glorious prospect. It's going to get better, and it's going to get really good when our Lord decides to come back for us. And then the fifth thing we have is a grand proclamation, for we shall see him as he is. Also in verse 2, now John had seen the Lord. He had seen the Lord in the flesh. John had seen the Lord in the glorified body. But he also makes a, a comment. He says, uh, "He says we'll see him as he is. I'm not real sure what exactly that means, but he also tells us that we're going to be like him. Uh, so, you know, John is excited to get the chance to see what, you know, can, it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around the fact that God is a spirit. And yet he uses lots of phrases and stuff like the hand of God, the arm of God, uh, to help us with our limited ability to wrap our mind around our Heavenly Father. And we, we give him a persona or a, a physical form, 
But we really don't know exactly what God the Father is going to look like when he's back in his natural setting, and our Lord Jesus Christ is back in his natural setting, which is glory. But the Bible says that we're going to be like him. And, and so John was excited about the, uh, seeing him as he is. Someday we're going to, he's, he will be seeing him face to face. Just think about that just a little bit. The God that loved you so much that he went to the cross for you, and you're going to get to see him face to face. Just think of how much love I think is going to be on that face. I mean, if he loved you enough to go to the cross to, to die for us while we were yet sinners, I just can't get over the fact that I think he's going to, it's just going to be a good thing when we get to see our Heavenly Father. Um, it says in the Song of Solomon in chapter 6 and verse 10 and also in verse 16, it talks that he's the chief among 10,000 and altogether lovely. And that's going to be our opportunity to get to see our Lord. But then also, in verse 3, this this, uh, truth is that it's a great purifier. Let's look at verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Your conduct and my conduct tells a lot about our theology. In other words, what you really believe is the likelihood that Jesus Christ could come back for us at any time and that maybe yet later today we'll be up before him or tomorrow. It will, if you really believe that, are there some things around the house that you really wish weren't there? You know, is there some things that we've involved ourselves in that we really wish maybe we need to not do that no more? Or maybe even better, are there some ministries that we're not involved in that we know we ought to be involved in? You know, the the thing is, the more you think about the reality that one day we're going to stand face to face with our God, it should change you. It should mold you. It should shape your lifestyle, the things that you embrace, the things that you think are the most important. Now, there's all sorts of things in life that we get to do and get to enjoy, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there are things like working and things that we got to do to provide a living. There's just all sorts of things we have to do. But what is the most important thing to you? What takes first place? And, and what's the pecking order of that? And does the fact that one day you may get to, that you will, if you're saved, be seeing your Lord Jesus Christ. The more that's real to you, the more it's going to change. I heard a preacher on the radio earlier. Well, go with me if you would, and we'll talk about it in a second. But 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writing in verse 10, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. has nothing to do with being saved or not. The only way you can be saved is that you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. But after you get saved, 
since God the Holy Spirit comes into your heart to reside, to lead, guide, and direct you, and you have an opportunity to understand through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit the Scriptures, and you have a chance, at least in our country, of coming to church and having an opportunity to be taught and preached at and opportunities to serve, we get a chance to then mold our life into the image that Christ would have us to live by. And so the things that we do for Christ after we get saved makes a difference of rewards in heaven or loss of rewards. This brother is Brother Tony Evans who preaches on the radio, and I was listening to him on the way to work, and he made the comment. He goes, it's going to be like he plugs in the DVD and starts playing a record of your life. It's just you and God, everything you ever said, everything you ever thought, everything you ever did, and the things you didn't do that you should have done for Christ's sake. It's all going to play out. And then he made the comment, so what's going to happen when they get to a certain point and he hits the pause button and he goes, what was running through your mind when you said that? Yeah, you know, it, you know explain, explain to me your motivation for doing that. Or explain to me why you didn't do this when this opportunity, what, you know, explain that to me. And he said, and since we got that godly character, we won't lie, and it wouldn't help us anyway, would it? But the thing is, what he's pointing out to us is we do have opportunities, many opportunities, and there are many things that we think no one sees and think no one hears, especially in our own thought life, and yet every bit of it we're going to have to give an answer to our Heavenly Father for not to determine if you're going to heaven or not because you're already there. But rewards or loss of rewards, it's going to make a difference. You know, we need to take into consideration our Heavenly Father or the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry told us to be concerned about rewards. He told us to put up things in heaven where moth and rust can't get in or thieves can't get in. Get So Christ has told us that we should be interested in eternal rewards. And the thing is, they are eternal. You know, the things that we spend our time and money and interest on and everything else in this life is temporal. And it's all going to burn up one day. But the things we do for Christ are eternal. And you get a chance to build and accumulate eternal rewards and I don't, the scriptures are dark on the subject of do we get to add to it anymore once we get up there and we're serving God. I kind of got a feeling since we got the godly character and all the other things, we would naturally already behave ourselves once we get up to heaven. You kind of agree with me? I'll probably have to quit picking on you. And uh, the the thing is, um, I don't think we get to necessarily build more any more rewards because we'll, we've already got that, God, we'd already of our free will is going to be more godly, and so it would just naturally kick in that we go get busy. But now we have God the Holy Spirit in our heart if we've accepted Jesus as Savior, and we have opportunity because we're still breathing. And so we have a free will, and we have to make a choice on denying self and serving Christ. This earth, this world, this antichrist world that we live in, 
the philosophy of our society that we live in is get all you can get any way you can get it, you deserve it. Would you agree with me? Isn't that what almost every commercial that's on television tells you? But everything about Christ is service. And so we have definite choices to make, and it'll make eternal differences as far as the rewards that we have. And then secondly, even if it wasn't for the rewards, we have a Heavenly Father that loved us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And Jesus loved us so much He was willing to die that we ought to think seriously about the pure joy that we ought to have and just trying to please our Heavenly Father, knowing that we'll never be perfect. But the thing is, we, when we have a choice and we have our opportunities, that we seek our opportunity to serve. I thank you all for your good attention. We'll close in a word of prayer. And uh, Brother Carl, could I get you to close us in a word of prayer?